Now, Lord willing, we'll have this Sunday and next Sunday here, and we'll finish up 1 Timothy and then move into 2 Timothy and go on from there. So, all right, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, I am going to begin at the end of verse 2, and we'll go down and follow it like you have in your, in your bulletin there. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarreling about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world, but We have food and clothing. With these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. Now jump down to verse 17, please. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Lord, we ask for your spirit to fill us right now and to help our minds, because our minds wander. And our minds get lost in thought, Lord. But Lord, we want to hear from you as we hear from your word. We also pray that you would give us hearts that are sensitive to your teaching. Lord, we ask that you would bring conviction where we need this word of conviction. That you would provide repentance, Lord, where we do need to repent. Encouragement, Lord, for us when we are doing well and are on the right path. And Lord, for those of us who just need to hear a word from you, Lord, whatever that might be, I don't presume to know. But we ask that you would, by your spirit, speak that word to each and every one of us here as we hear your word. Ultimately, Lord, we ask these things in your son's name, and we want to know him better and love him more than we did when we came in. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so Paul is finishing up his epistle here to 
Timothy, the first one he's written to his beloved son in the Lord. And he's gone through all kinds of things. And as we finish up here, it's always good to hear um, what are the, the last words of somebody, right? Because sometimes, you know, there's a lot of stuff in between and the beginning and the end kind of can sometimes be those important things when you're listening to somebody. Sometimes people will keep the important or the hard truths to speak till the very end. And I wonder if that is what he's doing here since he's a timid guy and Paul brings up this issue of money and how to deal with that. I can imagine if this were being written to me, Paul's writing me a letter saying, here's how I want you to pastor. I could get through most of the stuff and be like, yeah, all right. Okay, thank you, Paul. I can do this. And get to the money bit and be like, ah, dogs. I don't want to talk about that, Lord. I don't want to talk about that, Paul. I don't want to talk about that. But you know what? It's something that we need to come back to over and over and over again. So there's three categories of people here. The reason why I'm thankful the Lord in his wisdom had, you know, this broken up. I could see that this was broken up this way. First of all, we have these false teachers. And these false teachers are trying to gain monetarily through the abuse of God's word and through error in doctrine. The second group of people that we're going to look at here tonight are the people who aren't wealthy, but that's their driving passion in life, right? That's their goal, their focus. Their waking thoughts go to how can I get rich? How can I become wealthy here in this life? And the final group we're going to look at here in terms of wealth and money at the end of verses 17 there is there are those people who are already wealthy and are in the church. So you have two groups of people who look like they might be Christians, the second group and the third group. First one isn't, but they're all in the church. So Timothy's being warned about all of these people being in the church. It's interesting to me that it goes it's in descending harshness. The first group of people, the, this, these group of people who are false teachers, he treats very, very exactingly, very harshly. The second group of people, he gives a very hard warning, but not quite as harsh as the first group. And the last group, he does give a strong warning, but yet it's not near as harsh as the first two, which is interesting. In our society, in our day, in our age, there's much rage and venom against the 1%, right? I mean, much rage still going on and will continue to go on. But Paul here, with those in the church, He's able to give an instructing and precise word to all of these people so that all of their attention ought to be focused back upon the Lord rather than on things of this world, which is lost in our cultural conversation right now. So we want to, as we read this text, we want to be very mindful of how money works. This is not going to be an exhaustive Dave Ramsey course. Or anything like that, okay? If you want those, they're there and they're good. We're not going through all of that kind of stuff. We want to see how we're to focus in each of these categories. Because I'm assuming, as Paul does here, that there's going to be these, type, these three categories within the church. Now, I'm not saying maybe specifically right here this minute. 
Maybe somebody listens to this later on, or maybe just it's in our minds so that as we go out, I hope nobody's in this first category. But if you are, pay attention, and me included, right? Teach and urge these things. What things? Well, everything in the epistle so far. It isn't just the slavery stuff that we talked about, what, gee whiz, I don't even know, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whatever that was that we talked about that. But everything in this book, and what the book, the emphasis of the entire book is this. Timothy, you're the pastor, lead these people to Jesus. Right? That's, that's the theme of the book. Timothy, you're the pastor, lead these people to Jesus. And everything that he said that's encompassed the entire book has been with the goal of leading people to Jesus. Paul's saying, here's how you do it in this area, with these people, in this area, with these people, in this area, with these people, and over and over and over again. And then he keeps reminding Timothy, and make sure you're taking care of yourself, buddy. Focus on yourself, focus on other people, and how, what's the focus to be? Jesus, 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 Jesus. So teach these things. Teach about Jesus. That's the most important thing. If you go away with nothing else, that's gold right there, okay? So write that down. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's a good, that's a good lesson to learn here. But if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and is teaching that accords with godliness. Now, what teaching is that? Well, we've looked at a lot of Jesus's teachings over the years. I think a couple of things jump out just right here is the most important thing that we could probably come away with in this context of talking about money and finances and wealth and all those kind of things is you're not Lord, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Right? Because what comes with the accumulation of wealth is power, is authority, is title. And sometimes that came with the title Lord, quite frankly, in the biblical days. And we, you know, people who are wealthy, they do sometimes in some ways demand a certain type of respect. And I think when we look here, the very first thing we have to look, what doesn't accord with Christ's teaching is saying Jesus isn't Lord, but something else is or somebody else is. This false teacher coming in, he might not say the words, I'm the Lord, But he's going to imply that in his teachings. And you need to listen to me because I have the real truth. I have the real understanding. Everything else you learned is good, but oh, wait till I tell you the secret stuff. I remember one time here, I was in a meeting with a bunch of other pastors here in town. And there was this weird theology that had come through Chico. And part of the theology was you know, that, that the demonic influences in a town are so strong and so pervasive that unless you get rid of those demonic forces, the gospel is ineffectual, meaning you can't, it can't be preached here. The demonic forces are stronger than the gospel. That was what was being taught. And so you had to do all of these machinations and almost like chants and rituals and and walks and and you had to go research certain things in order to get these demons out it was 
you know, kind of like a rigorous research project or something like that. Or I, and, and so that came, and I was in a meeting with a bunch of these pastors who were all about this stuff. And I got invited because I wasn't all about this stuff. And they wanted me to hear from the guy who brought the teaching to town. They were trying to convince me and persuade me that this was a good thing, right? So I'm sitting there in this meeting, skeptical Pastor Pat, right? And, no, and I'm ready to go to blows with this guy, right? I'm like ready to, you know, pull out my biblical howitzer and just let him have it. But I don't have to do any of that because as soon as I, or as soon as he gets up, he says, I want you to know all of this stuff. And he had books out there and things that he had taught. He's like, all of this stuff doesn't work. And I'm like, ha, fantastic. <laughs> this is great. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to be the villain here. And he goes on this big lengthy thing about how there's just something about America that this doesn't work. This works in all the rest of the world, especially third world countries, but here it doesn't sell. He's developed this new program with this new way where, you know, you can learn his new secret techniques. And if you come away on this week-long retreat for $500 a pop, for every person coming there, you can learn the new secret techniques so you can come back and actually evangelize your town for Christ and get these demons on out of here. Loved it. I hated it, but I loved it that it was so on its face ridiculous. So on, I didn't have to say a word. The Lord was so good. Everyone around the room as I'm sitting there, I think me being there had this effect of like, oh, this is bunk. I didn't have to say anything and I'm thankful for that. You know what? There are many people, like, they're not always that obvious. They don't always just come right out and show their own true colors, that they're just for financial gain. This guy at this particular opportunity did. So we have to be wise and we have to be watchful. and We have to be looking for people who are saying that Jesus isn't Lord, right? Because that's what that teaching says. Jesus isn't Lord over the demonic. The demonic is, and unless we do something about the demonic, Christ is powerless to work here. So Jesus is Lord is one of the first things that we need to remember. And that means he isn't just Lord of everything, but he's Lord of our own individual lives as well. That's going to be important as we look at these next two categories. Because like the slavery and slave master issue we looked at a few weeks ago, it's very easy for one to not like the other, for one to be suspicious of the other, for one to have animosity towards the other, and for one to look down on the other, one to belittle the other, and one to see them as a means of gain rather than an individual person. So we need to be reminded that just like Jesus is Lord in that particular arena, God raised up the master. God put the slave in this position. And what are they to do as believers? Love one another. Serve the master faithfully, especially if he's a Christian. Because, hey, he's received these blessings from the Lord. If you're a godly master, then be a great one to your servants who are among you. He doesn't call for it to be eradicated like that. So what are we to do within the church and with this idea that we're looking at right here with money? We're to be reminded God has us where we're at. 
So that's one of the reasons when this guy comes in and he teaches things that don't accord with sound doctrine, it stirs up unhealthy craving for controversy, quarrels about words, dissension, slander, evil, evil suspicion, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of great gain. It's evident when somebody comes in with false words or has these different ideas, and again, it's, it's low-hanging fruit, but social media is a great example of this. You can go on there any time of the day or night. You're awake at 3 in the morning. Hey, go on Twitter for a few minutes and just scroll through, and you will find exactly this. Quarrels about words, dissensions, slander, evil suspicion, constant friction. Why does that happen? It's because the minds of the people are not being renewed by the word of God. Christ is not Lord of the lives of these people. This happens in the church. People come into the church, they'll sing the songs, they'll tithe their money, they'll come up for communion, they'll read their Bibles oftentimes, but if there hasn't been a renewing of the mind and hasn't been a change of the heart, then they are depraved in their thinking and deprived of the truth, and Christ is not Lord of their life. And if Christ isn't Lord of their life, who is? Themselves. They're following after the prince of the power of the air too, certainly. So maybe Satan is as well. But one way or another, Christ is not Lord of their lives. And it's going to come out in the way that they live and press back against the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these people are imagining that godliness is a means of gain. There are so many people like that that imagine that godliness is a means of gain. Unfortunately, the people in the church make merchandise of the people of God often and regularly. Watch out for those people. You know, sometimes in desperate... I remember a friend of mine who was sick one time, and he just wasn't getting better. And he was really worried that he's gotten to thinking somehow along the way that, well, maybe it's my sin. Maybe all those Word of Faith teachers are right. Maybe I'm sick because there's something in my life that, you know, isn't right. And so he started sending money to these guys. This is a Bible-believing, born-again guy who would be sitting in our congregation in other, in other, other circumstances, all things considered, I guess. But he started doing that because he just got desperate. He started doing that to give to these people. He wasn't... He himself wasn't content with the situation God had placed him in. And number two, he was looking to some other person and he was sending money to these people who do see godliness as a means of great gain. And they do gain greatly by the words that they preach. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of God, a little bit of scripture, certain scriptures, of course, not the whole thing, not the whole counsel of God, that would do them in. But enough to get people thinking. But okay, that's enough of those people. How about the people who are not, but want to be wealthy? Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. 
Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare, into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. First of all, contentment. Because contentment really solves the rest of it. Contentment solves the rest of it. Contentment is the idea that I'm okay with where God's placed me. That I'm okay with where God has me. That's, that's a pretty pedestrian definition. I get that. But, but I think that that's, you know, a good way for us to just kind of think about it. I'm okay with where God has me. I'm acknowledging Jesus is Lord. God is in control. And I am content with where he has me right now. Meaning that I don't have some kind of sinful ambition, right? I mean, what's the 10th commandment, right? You shall not covet all the stuff, right? <laughs> Wives and houses and donkeys and, I mean, all, all the stuff. Don't covet all the stuff. Basically, the 10th commandment positively could be stated, be happy with what God's given you. Be happy with what God has given you. There are lots of passages that, that lead to this, right? I mean, the big one is in Philippians, if you want to look at that real quick. I, you know, you guys probably, most of you have it memorized. But let me read it for you. Philippians 4. I rejoice, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, now at length, that you have received your concern for me. For indeed, you were concerned for me, but didn't have the opportunity. Now, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me relies to me, pertains to me, being content in all things, not hitting home runs and being able to run marathons and all that kind of stuff. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I can be content. I can be content. I can be content if I'm wealthy. Fine. God has blessed me with it. I can be content if I'm not. Okay, this is where the Lord has placed me and where the Lord has blessed me. That's the key to this, is the contentment that comes with this. In Hebrews, we just, we just finished Hebrews, but in chapter 13, if you'll remember, in verse 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Keep your life free from this love of money. Do you, do you see where the problem is? The problem is, is I have changed my affection from God to money. Money has become the object of my affection. Money, wealth has become the object of my waking thoughts, of my regular motivation. Money, 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 money. Not Lord, 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 Lord. So it's a, it's a priority adjustment that he's calling Timothy to make 
in the lives of certain people in his congregation. If you have food and clothing, be content. But if your desire is, if your driving passion, if what you worship, if your life is consumed with the desire to be rich, you fall into a temptation and into a snare, into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, the reason I say this isn't specifically pointing towards rich people is because you see these people are striving for something and it's plunging them into destruction because they don't have it, but they're desperate for it. This is the way casinos make millions. This is the way the lottery functions. This is the way people make millions upon millions of dollars by preying on people's desire within to become wealthy by any means possible. The worship is towards wealth and towards power and self-advancement rather than towards the Lord. Now, is going to a casino in and of itself a sinful action? No, I don't think it is. I don't think it is any more than any of the other areas of Christian liberty. Where I think it is, is if somebody has this driving passion, and that's what they're living, this addiction for wealth, if I can use that kind of language, this sinful propensity to advance themselves financially, I think, yeah, it's completely sin for them. They should not go anywhere near those places. Don't go buy a lotto ticket. Don't do any of those kind of things. So... What here? Those who desire to be rich, who are worshiping riches, fall into a temptation and into a snare, into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of... You've heard it said, right? The love of money is the root of all evil. Of course, that's a misquote. It's the love of money, the the desire for money, the driving force, wanting more money, is a root of all kinds of evils. And through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Contentment is difficult in every situation. Paul even said he had to learn to be content in abundance. Because even in abundance, contentment can still be something that you don't have. Right? Rockefeller's famous phrase, famous answer to the question, how much money is enough for you? Just a little bit more. Right? Answers that. People who have abundance can even live in discontentment without contentment without we think well if you don't have material blessings and you don't have these things then you know somehow some way there's a deficiency the world sees that way and it's very hard we have to have this two kingdom mentality in order to have the right perspective here's where i am right now i personally never been wealthy that's fine Probably don't know what that's going to be like. That's okay. The Lord is provided. I eat fine. <laughs> I'm clothed. Brand new clothes, in fact. I mean, they're not super nice. They're fancy or anything. But my wife went shopping and got me a new shirt and some new shorts. That's nice, you know. I, I'm, can, I'm okay with what I have. When, when the time comes and is, is, there, is there a way, if I want to advance myself, is that a good thing? Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. 
I'm taking college classes so that I can get a license, so that I can advance in my career. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I do want to advance in my career. That's a good and godly thing because I really believe I, number one, can be content right where I'm at here or right where I'm content if I do advance any further or content if I go back to where I've been before in the past, financially speaking. I can know that the Lord is good and that he's faithful and he has me exactly where he wants me. So it isn't the desire to advance that's wicked. It isn't even the, hey, I would like to get wealthy enough that I can you know, do certain things for the Lord. There's people over the years who have had the desire to make their millions and they genuinely do good and wonderful things for the kingdom. Plant churches, send money overseas and and, do these kind of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is the heart. Is our heart content with what we have and where we're at? And if I'm content right here, right now, and I do have the opportunity to move forward, and I think, okay, you know, if that doesn't work out, I'll still be content right here where I'm at. You see, it's a different perspective. I'm not, put, I'm not putting my family on the line and saying at all costs I'm going to get wealthy so I become a workaholic or at all costs I'm going I'm to throw my morals to the wayside and I'm going to do things that I know aren't right just to advance myself. That's where this love of money is a root of all kinds of evils comes in, right? So we see it. This lust for money, this lust for wealth, this lust for what we don't have. The 10th commandment is be happy with what God's given you. Don't covet other people's stuff, but instead be happy with what the Lord has given you. Be content with what the Lord has given you. Don't, don't look, you know, what you're doing, yeah, I'm going to say, what you're doing is saying, Lord, you don't know as well as I do. I know better than you. You suck at running my life, Lord. You are screwing my life up, Lord. I am not where I should be. I should be right where all those other people are. Lord, it's wrong that you haven't given me everything else that you've given other people. There's no other way around it. That's what you're saying. You might not say those words in your mind. You might not actually think those things. But when we're covetousness, when we're lusting for money and our driving passion is to be rich, that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying, Lord, you screwed my life up. You don't know as well as I do. I know what I need. Why don't you give it to me, Lord? Instead of saying, God, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for blessing me with what I have. You know what, Lord? Thank you for not making me too wealthy that I forget about you and making me not so poor that I end up stealing bread. Right? Proverbs 15. But Lord, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, for making me who I am, where I'm at. Lord, help me to best serve you here and now in whatever capacity that means with the blessings that you've given me. How about this last category? Those who are already rich who are in the church. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So first of all, for the rich people in this present age, Don't be cocky. 
Don't be haughty. Don't be arrogant. You think you amounted, amassed this wealth to yourself? You have nothing except what was given to you by God. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said to, to Pilate there? Is he was being judged and Pilate said to him, Don't you know I have the authority to kill you or to free you right now? What, you know, why are you answering me like this? And Jesus' answer was, You have nothing except it was given to you by God. You have nothing except that God had placed you in this position here where you're at right now. So those who are rich in this present age, don't be haughty. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Realize that everything that you have has been given to you by God. And it's not because you're better or, you know, something or, you know, you, you did something. We have the, always those tendencies to think, well, if I do this, then this, or I, I must be blessed in this area because of this. And we always have this tendency to try to figure out God's mind and his will. Listen, he doesn't owe you anything. None of us. He owes n- us nothing. It's by grace that we breathe. It's by grace that our hearts continue to beat. It's by grace that I continue to speak right now. It's by his grace that I have a truck to drive home in. It's by his grace that you have anything that you have. It's purely by his grace. And he doesn't owe you that, which is why he leads you to the next thing here. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Riches are going to fail. They do all the time, right? We can look back on our history and we see these market crashes and people losing their fortunes and then other people gaining their fortunes and the rising and the falling. And if our hearts are set on those kind of things, then our hearts are going to be constantly troubled. I'm going to, if that's where, if all of my hope is amassed in the wealth that I have on the stock market or on mutual funds, which are, again, aren't bad things in and of themselves. It's if my heart is focused and just stuck on those things, then I am constantly going to be watching those things rather than giving my attention and affection to the Lord. I'm constantly going to be worried and uptight about rising and fallings of certain things rather than just like, Lord, it's all yours. <laughs> All the tea and shine is yours. All the oil and whatever is yours. It's all yours, Lord. So awesome. If it rise and falls, it's yours. To rise and fall and do what you want with. Riches are uncertain. God is not. That's why Hebrews, the Hebrews 13 passage is so good. And it really does speak to this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. People want to know if you can have the assurance of your salvation. Yes, you can. But people ask that question because most of life is so uncertain. There's uncertainty if we can have certainty. You see what I mean? We can have certainty. And the reason we can have certainty is because Christ is not of this world. Everything in this world is uncertain and going to fail and going to falter in one way, shape, or form at some time. But he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I will not fear because the Lord is in control and I know it and I know it and I know it and I know it. Sometimes I doubt it. And I need Fred to remind me of it, you know. 
I need Brian to remind me of it. I need Arthur to remind me of it. I need, I, that's what fellowship is, is we oftentimes need to come back and remind each other, hey, is the Lord your rock or is this other thing? Are you, what's going on here, man? You, you need the Lord. Grace, dude. Rest in him. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Everything else might completely fall away and might, you might be completely undone. You might be. It's true. You might end up in a place like Job. And the answer to Job is the Lord will never leave you and never forsake you. That's why we can confidently say, I will not fear man because the Lord is with me. So to you who are rich, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches, but trust in God. He's the one who richly provides with everything for you to enjoy. And in your enjoyment, what should you do with, those, with that wealth? Well, you're supposed to do good. Believe it or not, everybody in this room is wealthy to one standard. <laughs> when we look at ourselves in comparison to the rest of the world, we're pretty well off. I'm in a class and we're talking about intercultural communication and I, I have this guy, he, he comes from a South American country and he was talking about how that when he, and he's a Christian, um, but when he grew up, uh, he grew up in what well, we would, I mean, I, ghetto isn't even the word. It was like, it, you know, um, tin panels framed together was their whole family house. And I saw a picture of something similar to it that he said, this is kind of like the place I grew up in. And he said when he moved to America, he couldn't understand how people living in the houses that they were were so discontent. When he remembers his family and his mom being so happy, singing hymns and enjoying their time together. And he had like a couple of little old busted up Hot Wheels. That was all he had to play with growing up as a kid. You know, and it, put, it puts things in perspective when you think like that. We're to do good. So everybody here needs to hear this. This isn't just a word for anybody who's really, really wealthy here. We're to do good and to be rich in our good works. Be really good in your good works. Do good to other people, especially those in the household of the faith. We're to love our own and take care of our own. And within the context of the church, this is our family. We're to be generous and ready to share. Which one of the things I love about, I mean, us, can I brag a little? We're, we're generous and we're willing to share. I don't think I've ever had to rebuke anybody in the years of our church with this particular rebuke. Praise God. (laughs) I don't want to start now, but praise God. But we need to be ready to share and be generous. Thus, storing up treasure for ourselves in heaven, right? As a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. What's truly life? Just loving Jesus. And knowing him and knowing him well. Loving the brethren. And being connected in this family that we have together. Sharing with one another. Encouraging with one another. Realizing our contentment is in him. Our contentment is the body together. Worshiping him and enjoying each other. That's where our contentment comes from. Not from riches and not from wealth. And not from power. And not from money. Those things are uncertain. If you have those things, praise God. Do good with those things. If you don't, praise God. 
and do good with what you have. Be content and be generous to all. And above all, love the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the Lord of your life. And he knows better for you than anybody else. And if he has you where he has you, it's for a purpose. And it's a good and godly purpose. So praise him in the midst of that situation that you find yourself in, whatever it might be. It might be struggle. It might be uncertainty. It might be, oh, what are you doing, Jesus? But hey, you're talking to Jesus, and he knows what he's doing. I don't. You can come ask me, but I'm not going to be much help. I'll just go, oh, let's pray. (laughs) Which is a good thing. That's what you want. Go to Jesus. Go to the Lord. He is the Lord of all. And he has you where he wants you because he loves his glory so much that he's going to get glory out of where he has you right now exactly and perfectly. And if it weren't, you would be somewhere else. But because you're where you're at, you can know that God is good and he has me where he wants me for his good plan and for his reasons. Lord, we are never going to know this side of eternity, your ways and your means and your whys, Lord. But we do know one thing is that you are good and that you are faithful. And that, Lord, you will be glorified no matter what in our lives. And so we pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit to submit to your will. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And in light of this sermon, Lord, we ask for that enabling of both patience and self-control in our lives so that we would be people who are content with where you have us, no matter where that is. Lord, and if you put before us that door of opportunity, we pray that you would give us the strength to go through it and to see our lives grow, but only grow in as much as that you would be pleased to have us grow in ways that you would have us to be led. Lord, we want you to be glorified and you to be praised with all of our life, whether it's our treasures, whether it's our time, whether it's our hearts, whether it's our minds. Lord, you are Lord Jesus. You are God. And we trust you. We love you. We thank you in your name. Amen.